0: Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. Welcome back to the Eating Habits podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Lynch. In this week's episode, Patrick Whalen and I catch up um, and discuss the current state of affairs of the hospitality industry, kind of where we think we are and where we'd like to see ourselves go in the future. It was a fun conversation, always a lot of insight and perspective when I speak with Pat. We did have some issues with some of the audio. You'll hear some funky echo and reverb at certain points. Apologize in advance for that, um, but it's not that bad. Please give it a listen. Lastly, please check out outstandinginthefield.com. For information about a dinner I'll be cooking at Renfro Farm on September 24th. This is going to be a beautiful late summer tasting menu at the farm in a beautiful setting with about 150 people. So grab some tickets for that, and I look forward to seeing you all on the farm. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm here with my partner, Patrick Whalen. What's up, Pat? Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining me again. Yeah, man. To catch up and see what's next for you and for us. We just wrapped up the one year of the Tip the Kitchen. It has been an, a, an amazing success, something that we are going to implement in all of our stores moving forward as just a company-wide system. It's been amazing for our teams. We've raised what over 1.4 million in a year. Is that? The
1: total back- to the kitchen was 1.4 million. I think there was I think the total was 290. That was supplemented to the front of the house as well. Yep. yep. 1.69. So like $1. 1.7. Got, Got it. About.
0: Cool. cool. And that's in 12 months.
1: I mean, what's amazing about that, you know, that is, is that of that, you know, 700,000 was from our guests. Right. You know, which is amazing. Is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: And, and the beauty of that and the important thing, I just want to touch on it real quick before we move on to like, what's next is that this initiative has allowed us to be extremely competitive in the labor market, but also without having to increase all of our pricing systematically right. across yes. the board. And yes. that's, that's the important part. Cause I was out to dinner just the other night, amazing restaurant in Charleston and 20% automatic you know, service charge on there mm-hmm. plus, and then a tip line. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I tip heavy anyways. I think they did an amazing job. They deserved it, but but that is kind of systematic of what's going on in the industry right now. Service charges, automatic gratuities, things like that. Yeah. And I think that's that was the beauty of the tip the kitchen, right? Is that we didn't have to implement forced
1: surcharges or labor or Right. uh, It was voluntary. It's all voluntary. Yeah. Which is something that I really think people value in what we are doing. I think the final number for the year was I think almost exactly twenty two percent of our total receipts had a kitchen gratuity of some kind on it. Oh, that's amazing. It. I remember when we first started, we were like,
0: maybe, was it like 5%? I think like 10% was what 10%. I wanted. 10%? But it's so what we wanted, but like when we I first started, it was I would never have thought that 22%. Percent. But
1: but the point still stands that, that that means that 78% of people didn't. right? Which means 78% of people are not ready to spend more. And so if you if you sort of compare, tip the kitchen versus just a straight up price raise, which is what I hear a lot. I see a lot on social media. Um, I see a lot in discussions when we've talked to the restaurants about it, why not just raise prices? And it's like, well, maybe not everyone's ready to pay more money. Yep. And in fact, raising prices to solve problems at restaurants, I think is a is a dangerous proposition because then you just raise prices every time there's a bump in the road, and that's that's you know then suddenly you're pricing yourself out of your market. Yep, raising prices from a mandatory standpoint narrows the field of people that can afford to come to eat at your restaurant, and I never want to do that. I want to have as big a spectrum as possible, guests as or as uh, a potential guests as possible. And so, tip the kitchen was a way to get more money in the system, which is really, really this is about, right. is getting more money into into restaurants in general, in this case ours. Yep. And to do so, where the people that are participating want to participate. Right. It's not out of obligation. It's not out of some mandatory policy, but rather a choice that our guests have. And further, it's a it's a partnership because of our willingness to match what they're putting into the tip pool one-to-one up to $500. Mm-hmm. I think our contributions total to the program are over a million dollars, but our our contributions to the match side of it was like, what, like $600,000, something like that, Yeah, you know, $500,000, Yep, which is a lot of money. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's an that's unbelievable amount of money, you know, and so I think that has really saved us from having to raise prices and narrow the field of customers. In fact, now I believe the field of customers that can come to us is much bigger, not only because it's a positive program that people talk about, but also because we don't turn over in the kitchen nearly the way that we, we used to when the most restaurants are right now, yep. which means that our product is better, which means they can handle more volume, which means that you don't spend as much money on training, staffing, you don't waste your chef's time, you don't waste your front house manager's time You know, on LinkedIn or on Craigslist uh, Indeed, and, Indeed, Indeed, and all that exactly. stuff. Yep. You know, no chef, no front house manager wants to spend their day on those platforms. And yet most have to because of staffing problems these days. And we yep. really, I mean, we still hire, Yep. but we also opened like three and a half restaurants in a year. So right. we had You're a lot of yeah, yeah. positions, positions to hire. Yeah. We simply would not have been able to do that successfully without Tip the Kitchen. I'm, right. su- I'm sure of it. Yeah. So it was a game changer for us. It was also a lifesaver for us. Yeah. For sure. I agree.
0: So what's next, right? So that, that's worked. You know, coming coming out of the pandemic and reopening the restaurants, you know, we had kind of committed that we were going to influence the hospitality game, influence the restaurant business, do some positive change after kind of the realizations of being part of the problem for so long yeah. and not really seeing it, yeah. right? We we're just part of the machine. And then having that time to reflect while we were closed, coming out of it saying, hey, okay, we are going to reopen and we're going to come back stronger, but we have to Start to heal some of the the you know systemic issues in the hospitality business. Tip the kitchen being the first one that that worked. So now that it's implemented, what's next? Do you have your sights on anything right now? Are you do you, do you have a program, an initiative, uh,
1: uh, a sector of our? I think this is a rest- great platform. Mm-hmm. I think the eating habits concept, as it was originally designed, was to evaluate. This goes back to to, to social media again. Evaluate. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that were happening to restaurants uniquely as an industry that were really bad for it. You know, something that I think about, and we've talked about this before, is I saw an interview recently, an old interview with Anthony Bourdain, talking about Yelp. And it was was pretty hilarious, actually. He just completely dismantles it. Um, Right. And it's funny, because I think if you asked, you know, 100 chefs what they think of Yelp, my guess is over 90% at least would say it's it's bad for business. Uh and not because it hurts their feelings that they get bad reviews although i think that people do take negative reviews personally i know that we have for sure but i think it's because it is this it's like this constant injection of really negative talk frankly yep and it's it disrupts your normal way of functioning when you're sort of being battered with this sort of negative and at times toxic and abusive feedback especially especially when it's anonymous and or especially when it's not something that was voiced at the restaurant or, right. or, or the restaurant was given the opportunity to fix it. One story that I laugh at the most, is, or not laugh at I guess is the most indicative of the absurdity of it all is that during during COVID we would get negative reviews because you know our staff would take their mask off or have it chin strapped for a minute, which of course we were telling them not to do and put right. it back on. But it's a lot to work in a restaurant with a mask on. So they take it off for a minute and customers would blast them, and that wasn't just our restaurants, all restaurants, yeah. and the customers would blast them, interview, oh, your staff wasn't wearing the masks, but they, but they weren't wearing masks. right? Like the customers would Sitting come in and not table. wear masks, and I just, I, <laughs> like, uh, you know, it was like out of a Black Mirror episode. It was just very <laughs> surreal. Right. That that was what constitutes something to write something negative about, and I just, I think that that's just, it's putting a lot of really negative, hostile nonsense out into the world. Restaurants have been through enough the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think that we've made it through pretty winningly, it has not been easy for us. And even for us, it was really traumatizing and stressful and crazy and in a lot of cases unbearable. And so I think of, of restaurant groups that have not had it as easy as we have, which is lots of them. Yep. And I'm like, do these people really need to, to hear this right now? Do they really need that feedback right now? Maybe what they need is some compassion, some empathy, uh-huh. some patience, the things that we all proclaim that we are serious about, that we care about as human beings, we need to demonstrate it towards each other. And so I think eating habits is intended to create a dialogue where we're sort of putting a mirror up to some of the, some of the absurdity that we've seen and some of the negativity that we've seen in a hopes to have a meeting of the mind, so to speak with our guests of like, listen, if all these chefs and all these restaurant owners are telling you that this is bad for the business, Uh That it's bad for us. It's bad for our industry. I think people should listen. Yep. I think people should take that seriously, or at um, least consider it. Like think about, contemplate it. it. Yeah. Don't just have this. You know, the, the world reaction is so to... filled with with hot takes these days, and just just I've decided this. This is what side of the fence I come down on, and so I'm going all in on it. And It's like, but life isn't really like that. Right. Life is a lot more gray. Mm-hmm. It's not binary. In fact, it's it's it makes you human to not be binary and to understand nuance and to understand intention. And so I think that our job right now for the restaurant business is to treat it the way that it is, which is an ailing industry. 20% of it is gone, and there's probably more to follow if they don't pass the uh, restaurant revitalization refill. And to to ask ourselves as customers and as people, do is that what we want? Do we yeah. want this to continue? Right. Everyone's willing to point at restaurants and say, hey, there's things that are wrong with this industry, and we agree completely. Yeah, 100%. And I think we've been willing to take responsibility for some of our role in it. Yep. because we've had a role in it. But I also think that perpetuating the cycles that sort of got us into this in the first place, which is things like online reviews that are hateful and nasty and uh-huh. um, that kind of thing. I, I, I think we just, they got to stop. I think it's just, it's just social media in general and what people are doing and saying on social media. I think we've, I think everybody knows, by everybody, I mean everyone, knows that, that, that it's a little out of control. Right. At this point, the yeah, social yeah. media yeah. is out of hand. I mean, I have three kids at home. My son is turning 12 in May. Like, I'm starting to worry about him. Like, have you have yeah, old max 18? 18. 18. Like, yeah, I, it's terrifying to me to think that that's a world that these guys are, these kids are, are, are walking into. Yeah. And I also think that 100 years from now, people will look back at how, how unaccountable sort of everything is right now and just say, how did they do that? Right. You know, how is that a, it, it'll be like Napster, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that's that. A, that's a joke yeah. that dates me a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When Napster first came out, I was like, how is this possible? Yeah. We just get free music all the time yeah. for no reason? Like, right. that's excellent. And now. What need you mean, no CDs? Yeah, it's like are done with CDs. CD yeah. do... I had an MP3 player, right? Winamp? Yeah. Anybody who's that's... my age knows what Winamp is. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> Anyways, it's just, it's, you know, I think it's one thing. It's a sign of the times and yeah. it'll be a thing that, that, that will be part of conversations for a long time to come. Um, and I hope that the conversations are productive and I think that's what eating habits is designed for. Yeah,
0: totally. Do, do you do you read the reviews for our restaurants anymore? No, I okay. don't read any of them. We we used to read them. I read all, all, them. all the time. I mean it was
1: up constant. to it, I stopped I stopped reading reviews when COVID I this isn't true. I monitor reviews. I kind of am aware of them. Right. But I used to read every single one of them Mm -hmm. every morning that was my routine i would wake up and i would go on to open table and yelp and TripAdvisor and google and i would read all the reviews once we reopened in 2020 really but really 2021 is when it started to be most noticeable once we reopened and i saw the feedback that was coming in not just towards us but in general how how aggressive suddenly the reviews were and and this is i'm not breaking new ground i mean you, you could read Almost every paper nationally wrote an article about how people's behavior post-COVID was really, not everyone, of course, but there was this really big surge in in really aggressive, angry. Mm -hmm. It's like a year of of being trapped inside. I think people were were messed up by that. I think that messed with people's heads. And so they came to restaurants looking for what they got from restaurants prior to covid which was a diversion and escape an opportunity to feel ha- taken care of to to have the stress removed uh-huh. and restaurants weren't there yet i mean yeah. frankly they're still not there yet because of staffing issues because of financial issues supply um, chain issues because of supply uh, I mean, because it's of just inflation like, it's i mean it's a tough time to be in the restaurant business now yeah. and so i think our our inability to adequately pull off that sort of our being the restaurant business us too yep pull off that show, you know, mm-hmm. that, that effect. Distraction. That, that, that diversion. As successfully as it was prior to COVID, I think people were angry about it. Mm-hmm. And they, they took it out on the people that work in the restaurants, which was, was sort of compounded the already challenging problem of getting people to come back to work at restaurants. Now you've got a higher percentage of guests, significantly higher percentage of guests that are behaving in a way that would make somebody walk out yep. like on the spot. You know, it's just, it, it's, it said to me, we're talking about the reviews, it said to me that this is no longer as valuable a resource for me about right. what's going on at our restaurants yep. as it used to be. Right. It it's used more, to it's be, more of
0: an outlet for people to right. to, to take out it's, their it's,
1: it was like, frustrations. Yeah, of, it became a kind of a, what do they call those? The, uh, the crash rooms? Trash yeah, rooms? Yeah, those are amazing, like by smash the way. stuff, right? I, I've
0: done that. Have you done that? No. I actually have done that, and it's amazing. It's amazing to go break shit. Yeah. And, not, and zero <laughs> consequences. Yeah. You get to go break the shit out of stuff and walk away and be like, holy amazingness. <laughs> I,
1: I don't know. The thing that I, sucks I, is I, you can't go home and do it. Right. Yeah, right. yeah don't do that at home. <laughs> you um, should try it. It's pretty fun. Everybody, go try the smash room. <laughs> I, I like self destruction. I'm yeah. not a big fan of uh, destroying, destroying other things, I like destroying myself. It's a joke. So I think that that looking down the road from a review standpoint, I'm sure I'll start reading them again. There's a lot more reviews to read now. Candidly, I mean, we have we have more stores than we've ever had now, and the stores are doing. Pretty amazing business, and so keeping up with the reviews is hard. Right. Also, frankly, we have we have infrastructure. We've got managers, and they've got managers that work for them. And they've got managers that work for them. Same in the kitchen, and so there are people that can filter a lot of that. Yeah. Where I don't feel quite so obligated to read absolutely everything. Now it's more like, let me get a snapshot of what's going on. We have reports that our that our marketing team puts together every Monday that says, okay, you know, uh, there was ten reviews about the bread ravioli in 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 CU Charleston being gummy, this, right. is, just, this is not yeah. something that happened. I'm just using it as an example. Also, because I know you want to get rid of that dish. <laughs> yeah. um, but, is that true? But, God, I hope. It's not true. It's not true. Um, but let's no. just say that it was. That's a flag for us as operators right. to say, to take okay, a look at it. hey, let's take a look at this. Mm-hmm. And without us having to go through the process of reading every single thing that's written online about us. Is,
0: is there a better way for guests to communicate their frustrations, their displeasure
1: with, an, with, with something. I mean, I'd say, I'd say contact the restaurant yeah. first, you know, send them an email or what's funny or about, review, especially negative reviews. And I know this cause I've felt this way before is when you have a bad experience at a restaurant, it feels very personal mm-hmm. and I don't know why, but I mean, I felt that way. Mm-hmm. Where you have a, I'm talking like a clunker, like a really yeah. bad experience. Not like you know the server wasn't <laughs> yeah, there yeah. the whole time, whatever. Like where yeah. this was overcooked a little bit. I'm saying it's just just they, like one thing or another, missed, just like right. And we've all had it. We've all lived it. Yep, it you happens. know it happens. And I think that it, you know in those situations, people take it personally, and get upset. It's like you ruined my Saturday night. And like I, you know, I've been playing. I've heard about this place for weeks, and I, and it was totally not worth it. I think if those guests knew how desperately we would like to make them happy, and frankly, most restaurants would like to make them happy, I think that the need to go online and write a review is is diminished. I think if they yeah. have a avenue, which is to contact the restaurant directly, mm-hmm. then a lot of these problems could be solved. I mean, I know in our case, unless somebody's being completely outrageous, if they contacted us and said, hey, we had this really serious issue with our meal, we were disappointed, you know, we just wanted to bring it to your attention. I think the first thing we do is say, okay, when can we bring you back, and give us another chance? Yeah, and we'll take care of it. Like, I don't, I don't want you to pay us if you didn't have a good experience. It's not worth it to me because we didn't deliver. Like, we we promised right. we were con- going to deliver something with our design, with our good feedback, with our you know, with our reputation, and then we didn't deliver that, and that sucks. And you have a right to be upset about that. Now, how you deal with that frustration, it's like okay any problem that comes across your desk how do you deal with a problem you can either try to deal with it productively which is to contact the restaurant or just like not go back which is always an option you can vote with mm-hmm. your feet yep or you can write about it anonymously online which i don't think adds anything to the to the i don't think it adds anything to the to the social experience right i think it is a way to to it's an outlet to get anger out but then all you're just putting out in the world is anger, and then you're incentivized by Yelp and stuff with like the elite status and whatnot. It's, I, it's a really, it's a, it's a very parasitic uh, business model off of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that customers are wrong to be angry in situations where they had a bad experience. They have every right to be angry. My question is, is what do we want to do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we fix this moving forward? Okay, if every restaurant's saying this is bad for the business. And every customer is saying, well, we need to have an outlet. It's like, okay, well, then then perhaps what the outlet should be is to contact the restaurant directly. Yeah. And then if the restaurant is basically like, go scratch, yeah. screw you.
0: Okay, fine. Yeah, go for it. Go
1: go wild. And in yeah. fact, kudos. And I agree, provided that you're not balance. being completely unreasonable. I agree that you have a right to communicate that to others. But I think that that should be a step, an intermediary step that happens first. Prior there should be some
0: responsibility life. in your communication. Like people should be like they should, you know, at least give give the restaurants
1: an opportunity. I mean, I've I've been involved in reviews where I like I I was involved in the incident itself. I know exactly what happened, and I you know you read about it online, and it's just that's just it's it's far afield from 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 reality. It doesn't mean that that's not how that guest felt right in that moment. It also doesn't mean that what they're saying is true, and that's just sort of like again, this is where this ties back to the social media conversation, which is it's like where is real where mm-hmm. do we find real in all of this and that's a burden that that social media has put upon us which is this like sea of information that we're all trying to find our way through and restaurants have a very small piece of that you know like we're not finding vaccines right right <laughs> like yeah. we're serving hamburgers and i'm not trying to diminish what we do because i think it's important what we do we have an important role in society but versus really newsworthy events like, you know, Biden is meeting with Putin to try to find peace in Ukraine. Okay. That's something that's important. That's Mm -hmm. something that needs to get attention. Whereas, you know, our concerns, maybe are a little secondary. That said, it doesn't change the fact that I think that we are aware that there is a problem within the restaurant business. You, me, Alejandro, our lead management. I think we're all conscious of the fact that there is a fundamental and inherent flaw in our industry. And it starts with a livable wage, and then it continues with with communication. Uh-huh. A livable wage, we've tried to to take major steps to fix. I think that we have in a lot of ways. Communication is the next one because if we can create an environment that's more positive for our employees, and more positive for our management, and more positive for even for the partners, I think you sidestep some of the angst, some of the vitriol, some of the combativeness that is so famous in the hospitality business. I mean, you go uh-huh. on any social media platform and you're gonna find you know, a server's page in each city. Charleston's got one, Charleston's yep. got one, Nashville's got one, and it's, and it's almost only either memes, talking about how Fucked up being in the restaurant so, businesses. Yeah, the server is or right. whatever or bartender. Or some story about how a guest was horrible to staff. Now that's not the reality every day, but it is a reality. Right. And so we need to do something about that. We need to address that. And that starts with with having a dialogue, being honest with each other about where we're at. And I think, you know, that's what eating habits is for. That's what tip the kitchen was for. We had to look at each other with tip of the kitchen and say, "You know what? We're not paying our people enough." Mm-hmm. And not only that, we haven't ever. Right. Yeah. And that's something that we're going to have to grapple ri- with professionally for for a long time. There's a, there is a window of time where we didn't pay our people as much as they needed to make to have a livable wage. Period. Yep. And I think we've been pretty vocal about that, frankly, yeah. on social media. I mean, we've said we've been we've sort of put our heart on our sleeve, so to speak, and yep. said very candidly about that. I think now it's about saying, okay, what else? Where else are some areas that could be better, that could be more productive within our industry to remove some of that vitriol, some of that toxicity? That's what I want. The livable
0: wage is the first step towards kitchen specifically, but the restaurant business as being a a livable career, a viable career, a career where people can be proud of the work they do, that they can say, yeah, you know, I work at this place and and it's a great place to work and I make good money and I, you know, you can do all those things, right? The things that people want. Mm -hmm. And the livable wage is the first step to that. The communication obviously is the next step, but how else can we make this a more
1: viable... So if you take the money litmus test out of it, in other words, they're making enough to stay in the industry, and then you work to create an environment that's more positive and more productive... And I think that the kitchen feeds that because mm-hmm. you don't have the kitchen in front of the house fighting the way they used to. Yep. They're um, working together. They're is, working together. Far, yeah. I mean, they, listen, they're not walking down the street, saying Kumbaya. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like there's <laughs> yeah, still, yeah. it's still right. a high stress environment, but I think the, the, the percentage of time where there's an issue between the front of the house and back of the house is far less than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And the turnover is remarkably less. And so yep. you have more stability with your staff. You have more maturity with your staff. You have less transience. Mm-hmm. You have less vitriol. So now you have an environment where people want to be, and they can make a livable wage. Yeah. Our next step after that, and this is something that we've done since we started, we, we've always done this, but now it's now we're really starting to see the benefits of it, is creating a path forward for the people that are electing to stay in our industry. You know our job is to make them a livable wage create a a positive work environment or at least a non-hostile work environment and then show how that job they have can transfer into or transform into, you know, a real career that they can be proud of. You know, I mean, it's, it doesn't help that everyone, oh, the restaurant business is such a risky business. It's such a, it's such a, it's a tough industry. It's, it's like, I hear that all the time yeah. from people that have no experience in our industry, right. which is just, it's, you know, well, I mean, is, I think, I think finance is a tough industry. Yeah, so do I. I'm like, ugh, yeah. you know, like-, think, like, what an engineer does to me is might as well be magic. I don't know right. how yeah. any of it works, you know? So for us, this is a relatively easy industry because right. we like doing this. And mm-hmm. this is something that's interesting to us. And to find like-minded people, which hopefully you would in a positive work environment where they can make a livable wage. The next step for them is to show them how do you become okay. You're a server today, okay. How do you become a senior staff tomorrow? How do you become assistant general or sorry, assistant manager the next day, a manager after that, a bar, whatever the trajectory yeah. is until they're a GM or or really where they're partner. Yep. Which is what I want. Sure. I want an environment where where our staff has a path. Into partnership, and they take that seriously from the day they're hired until hopefully the day that they have a vesting option into what we do.
0: Why is that so important to you? I, I I totally agree, but I want to know why you think that partnership, achieving that kind of partnership level for for senior staff that have come through the through the
1: system that way, is so important. Because if you get to a point where you're a partner at a successful restaurant, you're 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 going to make a very good living. If the place is successful, Uh you're going to make a very good living and you're going to have a career that's viable. No matter if you stay with that company or you don't. And the more viable their career is, the more viable the industry is, the more viable the industry is, the less that you and I have to worry about uh, an entire industry being shut down. Right. I think people making a pathway to partnership, right?
0: Creates strength and, health in in the industry you got people with skin in the game that now are motivated to to keep the levels of of hospitality up to keep the quality of the environment up to make sure that like you know what i mean it's almost like reinforcements
1: for what we want Mm -hmm. you know i think Um, for for me part of it is also that, that that was not my experience growing up in the industry was that when i was a bartender which was my probably my favorite, besides the job I have now, is probably my favorite job I've ever had. But when I was a bartender, I think people have a tendency to view you as whatever you are now and not anything more ever, and it's sort of this sort of how they define you for the purposes of organizing their own thoughts. And so, if you're a bartender today, you'll be a bartender tomorrow, you'll be a bartender the rest of your life. That's just what you are, and that's a really, you know, that's a really discouraging way to to live. I mean, in most other industries, if you're working at a bank, you're working in finance, you know, you, you come into an entry-level position and the expectation is is that you're going to grow if you perform and people recognize that and acknowledge it and unfortunately in our industry, you don't, you know, there's so much transience and there's so much easy in, easy out that people just don't take what we do very seriously and I, I you know, I, I would like to change that. This business has been hard on us but it's been very good to us too and there is more than enough to go around even though we've got, you know, some of the tightest profit margins of any industry yeah. on planet Earth. And it's not getting any better with, no, with all the supply. Not, so. but, but there's still plenty of money to go around. Sure. And we need to focus on on making sure that we spread that money around because, again, that's what keeps people in the industry. That gets That's what gets invested in what we do. That's what makes the product better. You know how you stop, well, I won't name any restaurants, but you know how you stop <laughs> restaurants to <that> have commercials? <laughs> We've learned our lesson not to do that. If you have a commercial for your restaurant on television, yeah. first of all, I don't know about that. <laughs> Secondly, if it's a steak flying through a wall of honey, yeah. And you're selling that steak for 8.99. That's not good for our industry in my view. Not that there shouldn't be affordable options that are out there, but that's why are you spending money on on commercials for television? Right. Like spend money on quality products, on your product and your people and your processes. <laughs> You know, that was, um, Marcus Limones from, um, that's his whole thing is like people process product and, you know, to spend money on marketing and also marketing that I don't know who sees that commercial right. of a, of an airborne filet, honey steak. yeah honey steak, <laughs> yeah. right. And then like a burst of fire over a grill. It's like, how is this, how people see us as consumers, right? Is this how little people think of us as consumers that all I need to see is, is airborne, you know, meet. Right, and we'll and, go for and it. And I'm like, oh my god! And it's only 8.99. Yeah. I got to go. It's like that's right. that's the, in my view, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. We should be working hard to make the experience for the guests better, and then in turn, the longer they work with us, the more they're invested in in the same vision that we have, which is is that the product needs to be good for the guests. If setting a path forward to partnership
0: or you know uh, up up the ladder for staff is gonna to help to improve the viability of the restaurant business, the hospitality business. What responsibility or role does the ownership take to allow that to happen or to make it happen, other than just sharing knowledge and the communication, on um, that stuff? Like, What other responsibility do you think we have as owners to you know,
1: facilitate that or, or help it along its way? Imagine you're driving down the road and it's a, a road you've driven thousands of times, and you know, there's a pothole at a certain turn, right? And now someone else is driving, but you're in the car with them. Do you point out the pothole? I think that's our job. You and I, and Alejandro had to learn things the hard way in a lot of ways, because we didn't really have anybody showing us where the potholes were. In fact, I think that we aimed at them sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Check check the, uh, just to see if the axis was broken yet or not. Um, but so I think that I think it's identifying identifying the people that that really want this as a career, and then basically saying, "I'm an open book. What do you what what do you want from me? How can I help?" And obviously, it's our job to to look and see where we think they need help and support too, and then to provide a we'll call it sort of a bachelor of arts in in restaurant management and operations, but. Mm-hmm. What I found is the people that are driven to excel ask a lot of questions. They want to know. Yep. And so our job is to answer them. And answer them candidly and honestly and in, in a way that's as unvarnished as possible. You know, these days it seems like everybody wants to have the easy answer and it's 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 like well there isn't an easy answer sometimes. You know, sometimes there's situations where you're booked on a Saturday night and there is a table that is camping Uh, Camping means hanging out after they've already paid their bill for an excessive amount of time. And that table had two problems with their dinner, right, that were outside of our control or whatever, but maybe we maybe we screwed up somehow or who knows, whatever. the point is, is they had a problem with their table. Under normal circumstances, we would we would let them stay as long as they wanted to. But there are reservations behind them that reservation is getting frustrated and angry because they want to get seated. They've waited for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. That's a, that's an impossible situation to do. You're a manager and you got to deal with that. It sucks. And that's happened to happens every night at most restaurants that are busy around the country. I can't give you an answer to that question. That's going to sound good. There is no good answer to that. I think, Understanding how to properly value the situation from both guest perspective and from the store's perspective is something that's hard to do because you got a lot of factors to consider sort of at the same time. When those situations present themselves and young management goes, what do I do? We need to give them the answer. Uh-huh. A lot of times what I've, I've seen is, you know, where the people just go, oh, well, your problem figure it out, which I think there's value in that too sometimes. But if they're stumped, show them how you've handled it. And maybe that will work. Maybe it won't work. But at least you're experiencing it together. And I think that's that's really the point: is viewing your employees as future partners forces you as a as an owner as an operator to take them seriously uh-huh. in a way that maybe they're not even taking themselves that seriously yet. And that's happened many times with us, where you know you see somebody who's young and motivated and excited about the business, and they don't know what they they want yet, but you can see a path for them in the, in the hospitality business mm-hmm. five years from now. And so if you can take them seriously, they'll feel respected, they'll feel valued, they'll feel inspired, they'll feel connected, they'll feel a sense of loyalty, and they'll work their butts off. Sort of regardless of you, but they will work their butts off. And yeah. that's what we want. Right. We want people that buy in, that are motivated, that are hungry, that will appreciate the opportunity to make partner one day or to make upper management and will appreciate the fact that we're willing to share basically. I mean, we're more or less open book. We are open book yeah. for anybody that works with us. Sure. And I think that's 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 our obligation next for them. Yep.
0: I think that having that perspective or changing that perspective can be difficult for owners. I think especially owners that are that are motivated by profit, I mean, I think it's a business. We always have to be cognizant of profit and, you know, in order to expand and to be successful, you have to make profit.
1: Um, Yeah, but you got to spend money to make money. Yep. Right? That's that's the sort of... The biggest problem as far as I'm concerned with restaurants is there's not enough money in them. There's just not enough money in them. I think there is this narrative, you know, that... 50% 50% of restaurants fail in the first year. 90% mm-hmm. of restaurants fail in the first year, right? Okay, w- okay why? Mm-hmm. Why is that? It's because instead of making our product overseas, right, mm-hmm. like our labor force are all American employees. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're, they're U.S. citizens that work in our kitchen. They make the product, or they work behind the bar. They make the product. Our sales force isn't somebody that we sub out to, you know, some rural suburb somewhere where the real estate costs nothing, you know, we're paying uptown retail, we're paying downtown retail for our rent, and we're hiring an expensive workforce compared to what you would pay perhaps in China or- Who lives or, in the market. Who lives in that marketplace yep. as members of the community. All of that is expensive. And then you add to the mix that if you wanna sell a quality product, today's inflation, sort of crazy inflation aside, selling expensive product is expensive. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's why I resent the, the flying steak analogy or scenario is because it's a race to the bottom, right? You know, I, 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 going out to eat is not cheap. What we do is not inexpensive. And it's very clear that there needs to be more cash in these businesses. And I think, again, we're, we're kind of going back to the kitchen a little bit is, is as long as we're transparent with our guests where that money is going, mm-hmm. I have no problem asking for it. Yep. I think when people say something like, oh, we're just gonna put a 10% fee, I've seen the, a kitchen appreciation fee. Right, T- They're totally deserving of it. But where does that go? It's not outlined anywhere, it's not detailed anywhere. We're gonna raise yeah. prices 10% across Who the board. Who gets it? Where, you know, what? what is that? I understand the distrust that guests may have in that situation where they don't know where the money is going. But if we have a thousand reviews on Yelp or on some open, you know, open tape, whatever we have some thousand reviews online and we've got a 10% profit margin or 15%, you know, somewhere in that range margin Uh and American express has like zero reviews. Right. And they've got a 50% profit margin. I mean, who's, Let's just be real about it. Who's screwing people over here? Like, like where is the, where should our criticism as consumers be directed? Mm -hmm. Why is it that restaurant, this is an important question. It's a question that I've struggled with a lot. Am I being hypersensitive? Maybe probably a little bit, but why is it that these review platforms seem to be so focused on restaurants and small businesses? Meanwhile, huge industries like Walmart, for example, you go on Walmart right now, in, in Charles, we're in Charleston, the one in, in West Ashley probably has 30 reviews, 40 reviews. Right. <laughs> we have thousands, Right. why is that? That's okay, people wanna talk about restaurants, okay fine, that's fine, but you go to a restaurant once, you go to Walmart, you know, if you shop there, you go to Walmart frequently. Uh-huh. Why is it that an industry where there's a profit margin of, you know, 20 or 30 percent gets no sort of scrutiny and our industry gets gets pounded on? I I think that that's, again, indicative of of the greater problem here, which is that people don't understand restaurants. They like talking about it. They like, unfortunately, criticizing sometimes. They like bragging about it. If they had a good experience, they love sharing good experiences with other people, which I love about it. But they don't really understand it, which is why the failure rate is so high because a lot of people get into the business without really knowing what they're doing. Yeah. I think we need to to remember the value of expertise and listen to the voices from within our industry that are saying there needs to be more money in our business. Uh-huh. There just needs to be more money for what we do. You know, why don't you just pay your staff a livable wage? It's like we are trying desperately. Right. We are bending over backwards. We are inventing new systems to do that. But there are a lot of restaurants out there. To I went to one recently. Mom and Pop operation, awesome restaurant. But the the people that ran it, it was husband and wife team that ran it. Like they were counting on their salaries to keep that place open. Like they needed their salaries. Right. They weren't making profit off of that restaurant. They were making their salaries. They had a job. That is an incredibly narrow profit margin and very scary because any deviation in the marketplace up or down by even a few percentage points can wipe restaurants like that out, which is exactly what happened from COVID. Yep. Even with the PPP, even exactly. with the, the supplemental funds that the government put out there, 20% of the industry failed. And an awful lot more is about to if they don't put some more money into the industry. Yeah. People, our guests, I think, just need to have a clearer understanding of how expensive it is to do what we do, how hard it is to do what we do, mm-hmm. and to be willing to pay for that.
0: Guests and restaurant goers, I would like to see them understand or consider the cost of healthy, good food. I think, you know, and this is something I learned through doing the farm project was that, I mean, it's, it's really hard to make healthy food that tastes good. And it's really easy. Expensive. And it's, it's expensive. It's very expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. It takes yeah. a lot of. It takes, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of product. I mean, to to make it go, and then to get it where it needs to go, right? To move it from, you know, to get it from the ground in know. the
1: ground, out of the ground to the store, and, to the store yeah.
0: and then on a plate, a plate. there's a, there's a lot of stuff there and some of the going back to your steak analogy right the eight dollar fillet mm-hmm. thing is like no fillet costs eight dollars right
1: it just doesn't It may not have been a fillet <laughs> oh, I couldn't identify the but, cut it was it was traveling but too e- quickly but <laughs> even
0: so but even so right like the process to to get a steak on a plate is is an immense process and I think a lot of times especially in the. US guests are very disconnected from their plate right their plate of food they're just like ooh, you know i'm paying 32 dollars for this and then they want to like complain about how like the carrot was crunchy or whatever Mm -hmm. not to think about how did the carrot get there how did the steak get there where did it come from who grew it and that happens a lot in europe like in europe people are very cognizant of where their food comes from most of them shop locally from local farmers or local purveyors or or you know they they have um, shared resources. And there's a guy who makes pasta for, for the village and everybody comes down and gets their pasta from him and, and stuff like that. I think that environment creates this education for the guests where they their expectation for quality and healthy food is based in reality. And here it seems very disconnected. And I think that's something that, that I'm struggling with as we grow is how do you spread that word? Like how do you get people connected in a way to their food where it's not taboo, and it's not like oh, like steak is meat.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: comes from an animal, right? And and that costs money, and it takes care, and it takes somebody to to raise that. You know, especially if they're going to do it well. And for me, I think that's one of the next steps, right? It's the, one of the next steps is the education of the guest, how that stuff gets to the I think plate, the, and the, the ch- value the, of the that.
1: challenge. I think the challenge out there is is that I think informed diners know that. I yeah, think informed diners sure. are aware and are willing to pay sort of whatever. Totally. Um, I think getting information to everyone is harder because you have the cheesecake factories of the world where I can have a menu that's 20 pages long and has 100 items on it. And it's all relatively inexpensive and the portions are gigantic and mm-hmm. comes from a factory somewhere. It's, listen, it says, it, it says it. It's a totally mm-hmm. brilliant business model. Okay. But- in my view, the hospitality business needs to be a constant balance between those two words, uh-huh. between hospitality and business. And what I see a lot with corporate restaurants, this is something that actually this is worth talking about, that happens with corporate restaurants is that they lose the hospitality in lieu of the business. Yep, It's something that we have battled with, honestly. And I understand why yeah. it happens because it's so hard to train people. It's so much easier to train processes. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm just going to give yeah. you this checklist, yep. follow it, do it every single day. We're going to punch this button and we're always going to make a certain amount of money. And the problem with growth with restaurants is that when you grow, it's, it's hard to invest in your people in the same way when you have, like every one of these restaurants that everybody rev, is so reviled, right? Applebee's, I like making fun of Applebee's. <laughs> yeah. But it started with one Applebee's mm-hmm. that someone cared about, that someone really loved that restaurant. And, right, actually, I don't even know this, maybe I should Wikipedia it, but um, <laughs> I don't think it started as a 10 restaurant group. You know, it right. started with yeah. one. Sure. And so that first one, you can't lose the spirit of what Made you successful in the first place, and it, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, a great movie, a great movie to watch about all this is called The Founder. You ever see that? Oh yeah, about Ray uh, Brock. Yeah, yeah, and how he created an amazing business. Yep. But the product was just completely destroyed. Yep. And you didn't really know who to root for in that movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. And what story, you know, what story do you want to get behind? Because right. you understood why he was doing it, but you also understood why the two McDonald's brothers, the original founders of McDonald's didn't like what he was doing because he destroyed the integrity of their product. And so I think, you know, going back to the conversation about corporate places is that when you substitute a process for a person Uh and when you substitute a budget for marketing versus a budget for an employee Uh and training, you get on a sort of fast track towards a depersonalized, dehumanized hospitality experience, which to me isn't hospitality anymore. Now it's functional. Right. You're going to a place to eat food because that's just what you do, rather than I'm going somewhere and I'm taking a risk. I'm gonna be surprised in a positive way. That's my most favorite thing about restaurants. My experience and seeing it from other people where you go into a new place and you see something for the first time that changes the way that you think about your life about the world mm-hmm. I see it when they when they walk into Church Union Charleston it's the most most dramatic I mean all of our stores kind of have that effect but like when they walk into the the nave the main mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. to see people's faces is is like it's like mainlining inspiration mm-hmm. it's the most inspiring <laughs> thing to watch I sit at a bar and I watch them do that it makes me so happy because that's that's what I think we get into a hospitality for in the first place right it's not to make fortune of money. Like I like I, those that know me, I don't really prioritize my whole lot. Like mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like having it to pay for the bills. I like nice things. But if it was a choice between being wildly rich and being, you know, affluent and comfortable and, and the difference between the two is that we sell something that has integrity. I'm clearly going to choose the latter. Yeah. I like making a good living, but I also like selling something that I'm proud of. And we're at the point with our growth where this is what I thought we should come back to is We want to grow. Uh Our group wants to grow. We could basically open in any marketplace right now that we wanted to. We have offers all over the place because we've sort of made it past that threshold, whatever that is. Right. Now it's a question for us of how do we, first of all, do we want to? And how do we grow responsibly? I remember going to the first Shake Shack in Madison square park Mm -hmm. and standing in line for two hours, an hour and a half or whatever it was. They literally had signs. They're like, if you're at this (laughs) sign, it's it's an hour and a half. And the experience of going to shake shack was so much more than eating a cheeseburger. Although the food was great. I love shake shack. Mm -hmm. Right. But it was about the camaraderie that you felt with the people that were at in line. I mean, it was, it was fun. And also Madison square park, in the fall or whenever is just one of the most spectacular places <laughs> in, the, in the world. So now you go going to Shake Shack and it's McDonald's. It's right. a better product. Yeah. I think the service is better, but it's fast food. Yep. It's nicer fast food, but it's fast food. Yep. And that makes me really sad. I get it. I, I don't really blame them. It's, it's, it's funded. I mean, Danny Meyer does the Union square hospitality group, like school now and teaches people. I mean, I, I think that there are so many good things that have come from, from that money that I understand. I also have, an emotional attachment based on my experience, my personal experience going there. And so looking down the road for us, not that we're going to be Shake Shack or anything like that, but mm-hmm. if we would like to continue to grow, I just want to make sure that we do it where, where we're doing it in a way that, that we, you, me, Ollie, yep. and then our lead our teams team yep. can look at the product that we're selling and say, you know what? We're, we, we're happy with this. I don't care yeah. what the reviews say. I don't, I just, I don't, I'm not going to, that's, we're going to filter out the noise yep. and, and look at the product ourselves and say, are we happy with what we're doing? Do we feel inspired by what we're doing? Because if we don't, why would we expect anybody else to? That needs to be our goal, looking ahead.
0: I'm glad you said that. So let's talk about that because that's interesting. I think that so far we have done that, right? Like, I, somebody was telling me about this at Church and Union in Charleston just the other day. We were talking about the different restaurants, right? That we're in Nashville now. We are in the design phase for Denver, Church and Union Denver. And they were saying, you know, what I love about it is if I go to Church and Union in Charlotte, it's not the same menu. It's not the same. Right. Is it, not everything's the same. You know where you're at, most right? Of it's,
1: most of it's not the same. Yeah. yeah. Like
0: there, there's no like, yeah. there's no set menu, right? Um, there's a creative process in each restaurant, in the teams there. Mm-hmm. To create within the framework of you know what our restaurants are and people love that Yeah, um, i get that a lot people are like really excited about that and Like, how do you do that well the answer is i don't do it
1: right.
0: <laughs> you know i right. used to do it when we had you know five church originally now we have teams of people that are doing it and that's that's the important part of the growth that inspiration for you moving it's way forward, harder to manage by the way
1: it's it's way it's the hardest thing it's way harder to manage it's so yeah. much easier people are tough it's Andrew so much food. easier to just say like, okay, we have the same menu yeah. at every store. Yeah. I know this works. Maybe you have this like one or two things that you know are features or something that the chefs can do, and you just fire it out. You know, yeah. and, and that's the scalable model. That's the right. scaled model that you see at so many places now.
0: Well, that's the fast food um, model, right? That's a, that's the fast yeah, casual it's, well, it's, fast food. And it's and it's like, moved
1: its way into full service, right? Um, and I think you know, in our case, we have really bristled at the idea of, of doing that. I mean, we just dumped the lamb burger, which was the longest tenured dish on our menu, and we the sold OG. a bajillion <laughs> of them. Yeah. Uh, and people really loved that dish, and we got rid of it for lots of reasons. you got to be willing to burn down the past if yeah. you want to have a future. Totally. And that means burn down your own history sometimes. Mm-hmm. That means looking at the mistakes other people have made or that you've made and be willing to say, hey, I think this is a mistake. Something that, that I think, <laughs> I know that I've caught some shit for is I'm pretty verbal about, I'm opinionated. And I have, a, <laughs> I have a strong but well-informed opinion about the restaurant business based on doing basically nothing else since I was 17 years old or 16 years old. I'm not, I'm not afraid of saying like, okay, I think there's strength and, strengths and weaknesses of like the Capital Grill model, right? Yep. I think Capital Grill is a terrific restaurant. They serve delicious food. Their room is exactly what I would expect from a steakhouse. In fact, it's so much so that I actually identify steakhouses with as the yeah. way Capital Grill looks. Right. This is this is the lip test for right. For right. What does this steakhouse, steakhouse look like? It's like yeah. Take Capital Grill and like leather banquets. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, put, yeah. Put some put some old faces on the wall right. of people that don't identify. Yeah. Maybe throw some some you have these cuts of meat some boom, taxidermy boom, boom, boom. shit up there and. <laughs> But I'm never surprised right? when I go there, ever. right? I'm always satisfied and I'm never surprised. And I think that that is not what hospitality is about. I think that's function. I don't have a problem pointing that and saying, I don't agree with that for what we are trying to do. Right. Good for them. yeah. Good for them for their model. I eat there. Sure. I love it. Yep. And I understand why people eat there. But that's not what we want. And being able to say, these are the things that we don't like about this. And this is why, and this is what we want, is a really necessary dialogue that if you do that these days, if you're publicly critical, that you get lambasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that we need to be able to hear sort of each other talk. And in our world, it's about restaurants. We love right. restaurants. We talk about basically nothing else. That's, that's all, all we all talk about. Oh, yeah. you know, we're well-informed. <laughs> and I think that that's, that's something that looking ahead for us, again, I keep kind of trying to think about what do we want long-term? We could, we could literally stop opening restaurants yeah. today right? and be and retire. You, me and Ollie could basically retire now. Yep. That's, that's where we're at on the, on the five stories that we have, and then finish the two that we were about to build out and never do anything ever again and live a very comfortable life. I think what we want to do is look at some of the problems that exist in that corporate model or exist in other small businesses models that are problematic and work to improve that uh-huh. and work to continue to open restaurants and have a voice and have a platform that's meant to, to make the business better. To make, it, it, it's meant to value our guests more, but also be willing to point at them and say, what you're doing isn't okay. Uh-huh. The way that you're interacting with your, your server or your bartender is not okay. What you're writing down is not okay and have that kind of real dialogue between Uh human beings again. Get away from these screens and and start talking to each other again. That's how we're going to successfully expand. And we're gonna start within our group, right? Which is us having personal, I mean like having conversations with a line cook. Uh Here's a good example for you. I would imagine that there are chefs I'm reluctant to call you a celebrity chef because I think it's yeah, yeah. so pretentious and ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But I think that you I'm a, you have a name that, that some people that are interested would recognize. Yeah, I think that there are lots of chefs out there that have your notoriety or more that don't talk to their line cooks at their restaurants anymore. Yeah, Ever. Ever. yeah, For any number of reasons. Because they're not geographically in all the places or whatever. and Or, or they just don't want to. And I think that, that what we've done a great job of, and I don't mind saying that, is that we are still very invested in the people that work for us all the way down to hourly employees and all the way up to the lead executive management and leadership of the company. Yeah. Um, that's, to me, the only way our aspirations are actually going to be met by making sure that we remain, that, that balance between hospitality and business mm-hmm. actually stays in effect. And it's not going to be easy yeah. And I don't really know how to do it yet. Yeah. We, we, like we have a feeling. Right. But each new place provides new challenges that we're going to yeah. have to sort of troubleshoot as we get through them. But that's the goal. Yep. I like it. On that
0: note, I think we should leave it there. And I think that that's a great way to end it. And I think it's an inspiring message. It's a clear message. And I think that people should take heed, you know. And when you come to the restaurants, like talk to your manager. Yeah. You know, if you see one of us in the dining room, grab us. Or, Say, grab hey. a,
1: or if you have a bad experience, grab a business card on the way out. Yeah. Almost all restaurants will have that. Hey, do you have a manager's name and number? Do you have a business card? Yeah. On the way out, just grab one. Grab one and then... One communicate, and
0: then communicate, shoot them a text. Give them a call. Th- You would be Send amazed. Send
1: I remember la- last year I went to Disney World with my family and I brought my in-laws. And we were going to stay at uh, one of the hotels. And they didn't tell us this before we got there, but they were having construction in the hotel. And it was like jackhammering. You could hear it in all the rooms. I don't even know how they... Could pretend to be open, um, and so I called 1800 Mickey or whatever the, the, the Disney hotline. He yeah. called Mickey himself and said, Yo, and I was, I mean, I, I, was, I was upset. It. I mean, we paid a lot of money for this. Uh, we were we've been traveling, we were tired. I had my in laws and they were ready to be in the room. And we called this guy, and he was so gracious. Mm-hmm. And he and like, and I was pissed. I was like, Listen, yeah, you know, I'm I'm upset. I'm frustrated with the situation. Here are the reasons why. I wasn't abusive, but I was like, this is a problem that I really want you guys to help us fix this. Because mm-hmm. this is this is like crazy. I yeah. can't we can't sell a room where someone's jackhammering. That's just so right unacceptable. In a resort. And especially here for, the, for the you know, for what Disney, I think, is projecting themselves as selling. Right. You know, which is this, you know, great family experience, memory. It's for the a happiest place on earth, Pat. Right. Well, it wasn't for a minute. <laughs> right. And this guy did living good up to the of earning that, he earned that reputation with the way he handled our inquiry. And so I went from being like, You guys are ridiculous, which frankly selling that to me was. Mm-hmm. But maybe there's some story as to why. Maybe sure. maybe the contractors walked off the job for three months and then showed, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Shit happens. But he saved it with his behavior mm-hmm. and the way he dealt with it. And for that, I will always go back there and I actually have the guy's name and I'll call him for reservations in the future. And I think that there are so many people in hospitality that would take that approach totally if you give them the chance to do it. And that that's the message that we need to send to our guests. Yep. Give us a chance to do right by you, even if we didn't the first time. We really do want to.
0: Right. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah, for thanks for coming in and talking about that stuff. And I'm looking forward to Denver next we gotta get that
1: under construction that needs to get going yeah i'm ready Almost. i mean i'm ready my
0: pizza dough is ready to go yeah yeah we're gonna do we're a gonna pizza party yeah we're gonna do a pizza party with the kids um <laughs> next week
1: okay the, they'll be the they'll be I'll, the judge they'll be the yeah. <laughs> i'm sure they'll be happy about that all, all right. right thanks man